Well, thanks, Maureen, and thank you, families and kids. You're a hard act to follow because you all look so wonderful and beautiful and cute, and you have bow ties on, and they just looked great. So what a, what a privilege for us as a as church family to, to stand with you and bless you today. Well, my name is Don Fraze. I serve here as the transitional worship pastor, and it's my privilege today to continue our series on kingdom culture and to bring us into God's Word today. Now, at the beginning of the service, Jody reminded us, and I believe Tyler did as well, that this is Pentecost Sunday. And so before I get into the heart of the message, I have to talk about Pentecost Sunday because this is an incredibly exciting Sunday that I think we need to pause and reflect on and celebrate. You know, churches around the world today are celebrating Pentecost Sunday because not only is this the day that we read about in Acts chapter 2, as Jody read, of where the Holy Spirit poured out in power an incredible time to think about and, and talk about the Holy Spirit. But Pentecost Sunday is also the day when the church was born. And it's the day that we as the church of Jesus Christ celebrate that th this is the entity that was born in power on this day and that we stand together on the day of Pentecost in unity and asking God for hope for the church. So, just to talk a little bit about Pentecost. So, Pentecost is actually a Greek word that means 50, and it's an exact number of days from the feast before until the feast of Pentecost. They were commanded to count down 50 days and to celebrate this feast. Now, this feast to the Jews or to the Hebrews is actually called Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, and yet um, it later became known as Pentecost based on the Greek culture. But what I love about the Jewish culture and faith, in fact, to be honest, I'm actually a little envious of them, they really know how to party. You see, God instructed them to have seven major feasts or festivals every year, and uh, these were not just like one evening or one day events. These were like, these went on for days as the whole community and sometimes the whole nation would gather to celebrate, to celebrate God's faithfulness and to celebrate what God was doing in their midst and who God was calling to be as a nation. And so those, those feasts are, are very fun to study and very fun to think about. Now, as the Christian church, there's really only two Jewish feasts that we talk about very much, and that would be this one, the Feast of Pentecost, but also the 50 days earlier, which was, well, Easter Sunday, a little bit back to Good Friday, kind of mirrors the Feast of Passover. Now, the Jews, like I said, they had seven feasts. And when Christian scholars talk about these feasts, what's exciting about them is that they're kind of like dress rehearsals for God's full kingdom to come. And that these feasts, in a sense, prophetically show what Messiah will do when Messiah comes. So the first three feasts are about the first coming about Messiah. The last three feasts are actually prophetic about the second coming of Messiah. But then there's the middle feast, which is this feast, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost, that is actually thought to be prophetic about the church. Now, here's, here's what's interesting about, about the Feast of Weeks. You see, in Jewish tradition, that's when they would celebrate that they were born as a nation. So that was the day when they recognized when Moses went up into Mount Sinai, was given the law by God, and on that day, Israel became a nation. And so the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost for them, was to celebrate every year, we are a nation. And so isn't it amazing that on thousands, a couple thousand years later, that on the Feast of Pentecost, 
50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, his promise of the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came in power. And on that very day, the new kingdom, the new nation, the church was birthed and born. And that's what makes this day so exciting that it's a prophetic fulfillment of God's plan of God's kingdom. So when we talk about the kingdom of God or kingdom culture, this is the kingdom we're celebrating today. You know, just a couple other, other fun facts, and I could go on and on about, about these feasts. They're very interesting to me. But a tradition for the Jews on Pentecost or on the Feast of Weeks would be to read the Book of Ruth. And the Book of Ruth is just this beautiful little love story. If you've never read it before or haven't read it in a while, I encourage you to read it. It's a very fun and easy read. But it's just a beautiful story that I wish I could get into, but it's really about how um, a Jewish man who was like a redeemer marries a Gentile bride to redeem a Jewish family. And, and they read that every Feast of Weeks, and it's basically a book that's got a Gentile flavor to it. Another, another aspect of the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost that's very interesting is that it was the only feast of the seven where they would eat leavened bread. You see, in all the other feasts, it was a big deal that they would eat unleavened bread because leaven in their culture, or yeast, was symbolic of sin. And so on their special feasting days, they wanted to picture their practices by ridding sin and ridding impurities out of their, out of their society. And yet here on this, on this Feast of Weeks, on the Feast of Pentecost, they ate the only one they would eat leavened bread. And that leaven, again, that symbol of sin, but also referring to us Gentiles. And so again, another Gentile flavor practiced year after year to talk about this incredible feast. So why talk about the Pentecost feast and its history and its prophetic significance? Well, on this day of Pentecost Sunday, I just have to be honest and say my spirit, I was just so moved to encourage the church today to embrace the miracle and the awe and the wonder of the church. You see, Jesus said that the church is the bride of Christ. In fact, when Jesus talked about needing a new wineskin to hold the new wine of his kingdom, he was referring to the church. This is his plan for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God to come on earth to hold the new wine of his spirit, to hold the new wine of his kingdom. You know, we live in a day when there's lots of cynicism about church. There's lots of questioning about, is the church relevant? Is the church effective? There's lots of pain associated with disappointment and hurt in the church. And I recognize that all of that is real, and all of that is very difficult for many. And yet, this is my heart and what I feel the Spirit wants to say on this Pentecost 2021. On this day, can we lay aside our cynicism? Can we lay aside our disappointment and even our hurt and say, Holy Spirit of God, can you come in power on this Pentecost day and renew our hope and renew our faith in this wineskin you call the church and bring your new wine and bring your kingdom? And so that's my hope and my prayer as we uh, consider this Pentecost Day and, and get into our sermon today. So I said earlier, our, our series is called Kingdom Culture, and we've been going through the, the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along or on your phone, however you do that, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. And Pastor Bruce started us off last week at the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, telling us about how Jesus chose his 12 disciples 
And then shortly after that, he sent them on a very strategic and interesting missions trip. And it was on this missions trip that he actually gave them some very strange instructions. And probably the most strange instruction was who he told them to go to. Because all along, Jesus had been, had been talking about and, and saying that his gospel, his kingdom was for everyone, was for the world. And yet in this particular missions trip, he told them just to go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, if you want the answer to that, you have to listen to Bruce's sermon from last week because that's what he dealt with. But that was kind of the beginning of the strange instructions of this missions trip that Jesus sent his 12 disciples on. But we're going to pick up the text now in, chap in chapter 10, verse 9, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of, more of those strange instructions for this special trip. So let's go to Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 9. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. All right, well, when you consider these strange instructions by Jesus, the first thing that hit me was, why did Jesus send them out seemingly unprepared, or as I wrote down, penniless, or to presume on others? Doesn't it seem that way? Now, some of the commentators would suggest that um, the time was short, that this was a short and strategic trip. Jesus didn't want them to be bogged down with unnecessary preparation. It was just like, get on with it. That's kind of one way to think of it. But I would say that, that most of the scholars, when thinking about this, what they understand in Jesus' intent here is that he wants to teach them about trust and dependence. But not only just trust and dependence on him, but trust and dependence on the community. You see, Jesus is actually wanting them to celebrate and embrace hospitality in a healthy way. Jesus is actually wanting them to understand what interdependence in community is all about. Now, I can't speak for the, the ancient culture Jesus was in, but I know that our culture, do we ever celebrate independence? Like, that is just a huge thing we celebrate. Whether it's with when kids do their first independent things, we reinforce, oh, good for you, you did that yourself, we celebrate independence. And then I know that, you know, when, when kids get to that young adult stage and they start choosing career and, and, and getting out on their own, we celebrate their independence. We, we have a culture that just, that just celebrates that and, and, and respects that so much. In fact, we respect it so much that it's, it's sad to me that um, when we come to the end of our life, one of the biggest things people grieve is the loss of independence. Now, I'm not saying that, that all independence is wrong or bad. It, it has its place and it's good. But I think what Jesus is trying to show here, the kingdom, culture, value, or principle that he wants his disciples to get, that he wants us to get, is that interdependence is the way of the kingdom. It's a kingdom value. We need each other. Pastor Maureen talked about that with our, with our parent and family dedication. Families need each other. They, families and church communities need each other. We, all of us in the kingdom, we need each other's gifts. We need each other's support. That doesn't make us weak or pathetic. It makes us human, actually makes us kingdom citizens. 
We're not called to a negative type of codependency. We're not going to that ditch, but we're talking about a healthy inter interdependence, a healthy acceptance of hospitality. Now, let's just go back to hospitality a little bit for a while. Let me ask you this question. Do you find it more difficult to, to um, give hospitality or receive hospitality? Now, surprisingly, most people would say it's harder to receive hospitality. Have you ever thought about how receiving hospitality actually takes a lot of humility? And so for these disciples who had to go into strange towns and villages and just hope that people would reach out to them and they would, by faith and then also in humility, accept the hospitality of those that would care for them. That was probably difficult for them to do as it is for some of us. Now, when I thought about this, I couldn't help but thinking about a very good friend of mine. And I can talk about him today because he's a pastor too, so there's no way he's going to be listening or seeing this. But this friend of mine, I've known him for many, many years, and for me, he's, he inspires me as the ultimate host. Like, he is so gifted in hospitality that every time you go to his place, you just feel like a million bucks. Like, you, you walk in, you're greeted, you feel comfortable, you're given the best seat, you right away have a drink in your hand. He's making... Um, appetizers and puts on a big spread and you just like it's amazing it's like wow um, how am I so lucky to have a friend like this that is just treats me so honorably and has such a gift of hospitality and I know others say this about him too but here's the thing that's hilarious about my very good friend when he comes to my place he might be the worst guest I know he is so hard to please he finds it so hard to receive any kind of hospitality and it's such a very hilarious thing about his character, and I bug him and tease him about it all the time. But it just illustrates for me how it can be pretty common for a lot of us. Yeah, we, we may love to give hospitality, but sometimes it's not so comfortable to receive. And yet I think what Jesus is saying here is that a kingdom value is to receive hospitality, is to learn how in a healthy way to live with interdependence and to live in community. And so that's part of, part of what Jesus is trying to say here. Now, back, back to Matthew 10, verse, verse 11 and 13. Verse 11, Jesus says, Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay in their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. So Jesus says, when you go into this, these new towns or these new villages, look for a worthy person. Now, it's kind of an unfortunate translation because it's not really talking about look, look for someone who's got worth, that's worthy in that way. It's really meaning find someone, um, find someone who's like with you, for you, someone who's open or accepting to you and to your message. That's what Jesus is telling them to do. Now, in the world of missions and church planting, missionaries and church planters often talk about finding a person of peace. And what they're instructed to do when they go to a new country or go to a new city that they're going to go and live in and do ministry in, they're often encouraged and told from this passage and others, look for people of peace. Look for people who will be open to you and accepting of you. Now, when I thought about this, I, I reminisced a little to the days when I got to be a church planter and I had the privilege of leading the second site of Forest Grove at the time, which was called The Gathering on Broadway. And we started a new um, work of Forest Grove in the Broadway area. And so we moved into that area, lived in that area, and wanted to get to know people. And I just remember how the Lord so uniquely provided a person of peace for me. 
I don't, I don't even know if I was even looking for it, but it's the way it happened. And this, this young person started coming to our church, and they lived in the Broadway area. They'd worked in many of the businesses in the Broadway area. And they were just so connected. They seemed to know everybody. So I would hang out with them, and I'd get to meet business owners, you know, meeting people on the street. They just seemed to know people. And it just gave me such an opportunity to feel welcomed in the area, to get to know people in the area. And, and this person became a real person of peace for me. And so that was, that was a, a good memory for me. You know, for Jesus, what's interesting is that actually the writer of the gospel we're reading, Matthew, was a person of peace for him. And if you go, go back a chapter to chapter 9, and I believe Jody spoke on this, it's when Jesus called Matthew to be a disciple. And, and right after that, you know what Matthew did? He threw a party for Jesus. He had a big dinner party, put on a big spread, fed Jesus, welcomed Jesus into his home, and then invited all his friends so that Jesus could meet all his friends. Well, that's what a person of peace does. They welcome, they open their home, and they invite their friends, and, and that was just a beautiful picture for Jesus. So as I was thinking about this whole person of peace idea, you know, it's wonderful to think about those who have done it for us, but then I started to think about how can I be a person of peace for others? I was talking to someone recently, and they told me about how they were moved to a different department in work. And they didn't know people in this other department. It was a very big department with lots of staff. And yet there was someone there that basically took them under their wing, showed them around, introduced them, made them feel comfortable. Rather than making them feel dumb or insecure about what they didn't know, they actually helped them. Hey, this is how this department works. And, and they just talked about how they just loved how this person became a kind of a person of peace for them. And that really impacted me. I thought, are we those kind of people of peace? So when we think of our, our work worlds, when we think of our neighborhoods, when new people would move in, when we think of our church community, are we people of peace? And just the encouragement to be that kind of person for others. So as Jesus is talking about these kingdom values, being a person of peace, of learning to accept hospitality, to be hospitable, to learn how to live independently, these kingdom values. But he's, he's talking about them in the context of really difficult discipleship. And that comes out in these next verses. So let's go down, down to verse 16 of Matthew 10. So Matthew 10, starting at verse 16, says this, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, that's such an incredible promise that is at the end of that text, that when we are in difficult, trying, or opportune situations, the promise of Jesus is that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, will actually gift us with words to say. That, that is a really incredible promise. We'll come back to that. But the beginning of this section, Jesus uses a couple metaphors to sort of Show, the, show and tell the disciples this is going to be difficult. It also seems in this text that Jesus kind of moves from the immediate of his disciples at the time to projecting the future of what it's going to be like for his future disciples. 
And he uses a couple of metaphors. The first one is, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And this is actually Jesus doing the reverse metaphor thing. Because up until now, we are the lost sheep, right? It's all about go to the lost sheep. We are sheep, we're lost sheep. And all of a sudden, the metaphor changes. Now that some of you are disciples or are found sheep, guess what it's time for now? I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. And in the midst of that, he explains it more with another metaphor, right? He says, therefore, be as shrewd or as wide as wise, sorry, as snakes, and as innocent as doves. Now, it's an interesting metaphor. Um, why snakes and serpents get the connotation of wisdom? Well, there's a lot of historical and so on connected to that, but that, that's a common metaphor. And then just the beauty and the innocence of the white dove. But how do we... How do we live that out? You know, as I thought about innocence, you know, I just complained to the Lord and I said, how is that possible in the day we live? How is it possible in our media-driven world for us to actually know how to be innocent? How to... It just seems like such a challenge. And yet this is such a call for, for wisdom and endurance um, in, in difficult times. Let me uh, read this quote to you from a commentator named Michael Wilkins. He says this, Without innocence, the keenness of the snake is crafty, a devious menace. Without keenness, the innocence of the dove is naive, helpless gullibility. So I just reflected on that some. You know, you know, we don't want innocence to have us become just gullible, naive people. We need that wisdom. And yet, the wisdom isn't to make us cynical and, and deceiving and, and manipulative. That's not the side of the wisdom we're looking for. We're looking for a wisdom, a wisdom that is balanced, balanced with this kind of innocence to help us navigate the challenges of, of a world that makes it so hard to live innocently, so hard to live purely, so hard to live with a positive heart and attitude. And yet, that's what we're called to in the midst of this. So that's kind of the, the picture of how Jesus wants our posture to be for us to be on guard. Because he talks about, it's going to be difficult to be my disciple. You're going to be challenged. And the things he talks about here actually really began to happen in the book of Acts. So back to Acts chapter 2, where we started with the day of Pentecost. On that day, the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born and 3,000 people came to faith. It was an exciting day. And yet it wasn't very long after that that major persecution hit. And the disciples often lived out what Jesus said here much earlier, that, that they were taken before authorities, that they were thrown in prison. There was so much persecution for them to stand and to live this message of Jesus. And yet it's in the midst of all of that that Jesus just makes this beautiful statement in verse 19 and 20 where he says, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. What an incredible promise. And maybe some of you can think of times when you've been in a really difficult situation, and words came that just shocked you, and you reflected later and were like, wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Spirit of God, for giving me words. Or maybe there was, there was a time when you were talking to someone that had some really deep faith questions and you were like, whoa, these are just so hard. I, I don't know if I can give you good answers. And yet you opened your mouth and 
we're surprised by what you said. There's just times the Holy Spirit does that. And this is such an incredible promise. And yet, you know, as I, as I really began to meditate on this promise, you know, it was so easy for me to just say, hey, you know, Jesus, thank you for this promise. I just want to live my life and, you know, as I go through hard times or get in situations like that, I can just hang on to this promise that you're going to be there for me and give me words. And that, that, that's such a wonderful thing to think about. And yet the conviction I felt in my spirit was to look again at the disciples and realize what they were doing to be in the situations where they needed to rely on the Holy Spirit to give them words. And what I felt like the Holy Spirit convicted me of was, am I actually willing to be obedient and to step in to situations that are hard and uncomfortable? Am I actually willing to step out at times into situations that are really hard and uncomfortable? And that made this a whole lot less, just a nice, wonderful promise, and uh, am, I, am I being a disciple, Jesus? And, you know, it was reinforced. I, I had a situation this week, and I, I feel so ashamed to even share this, but it was a situation where I knew that I needed to enter into a situation, and yet it was so awkward and I just rationalized myself out of it because I didn't know how or what I could say in the situation, and it was just easier to avoid. And I just felt so much shame and sadness afterwards that I didn't trust Jesus enough to follow through on this promise to give me words. I just focused on my own uncomfortability and my own just not wanting to enter into that. And so I just offer that, not, not in any way to to throw guilt at anyone else. I have enough I'm inside, and I know that that's not Jesus' heart here. But I hope that it's a challenge in a good way to say, hey, let's embrace this promise, this miracle. that The Holy Spirit wants to fill us and give us words. But let's ask for courage to still be willing to step out or step into situations. And sometimes it's, it's in the stepping in or the stepping out that the Holy Spirit comes through with those words, with that power, with all that we need to, to be his hands and feet. And I believe that's, that's part of the call and part of the response I want to call us to today. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come. And they're going to close in a song that is going to, again, invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us and to move in us and to move in the church. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit may be leading you to respond to that today. Maybe like me, you need to repent of that unwillingness to, to step in or step out and to ask him for the courage and the strength to do that and to trust this promise that he wants to give us words. Perhaps he's convicting you today of where you can be a person of peace in your work world, in your, in your family, in your neighborhood. But I want to take you back once again to the Feast of Pentecost, to this day that the church was born that Jesus declared his new wineskin for his new kingdom so he could pour out his new wine. And I want to ask you again, are we willing to lay down the difficulties we have with church? You know, my heart breaks for so many. I have so many, and I, I'm, I'm not overemphasizing this, I have so many conversations with people who talk about being hurt by the church, being disappointed by the church, wondering if the church is ever going to be relevant again. And I just so often hear the cynicism of church. 
And again, it's hard to hear that because I recognize that so much of it is true. I resonate with so much of it. My heart grieves for those who have been hurt, those that wonder if the church can really be relevant again. It saddens me that this pandemic for many has only fanned some of those feelings into into flame to make it even harder, to even be more cynical, to wonder if the church can ever rebound again and be a relevant, powerful place. So my heart breaks because I can relate, and many of you watching, listening, feel this yourself or know people who do. And so I don't have a magical answer. I can't promise anything about how things will change. All I can do is focus us back on Jesus, focus us back on this Pentecost Sunday, When I feel like the Spirit is saying, I love my church. Jesus said that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail. Those are the words of Jesus. There there isn't a plan B. As flawed as the church can be, the church is God's new wineskin for the new wine he wants to pour out. And you know, as I thought about this and my heart broke about this, I thought, you know, the easy thing for me is to be cynical and to be critical. The hard thing for me is to actually be the church, to live out these kingdom values by the power of the Holy Spirit, to ask the Holy Spirit to renew and revive our love for the body of Christ, our love for this bride that Jesus gave his life for, that this is his new wineskin, his strategy to reach his world with this new kingdom. And we are all parts of the body of Christ. It's so easy to just think of the church as the failed institution rather than the people, the body of Christ. And so all of that to say again, can I encourage us? Can we lay down all that pain and all that cynicism and all that fear and all that and say, oh Lord Jesus, oh Spirit of God, can you pour out on this Pentecost 2021 and restore us, restore your church, restore our love and our faith in your church? Why don't you pray with me? So, Lord, um, yeah, my last rant there was pretty much my prayer. And, Lord, forgive me for where some of these words are just uh, the ranting of Don. And, Lord, words that are not healthy and not right and not life-giving, would you please take those words away? And yet, Holy Spirit of God, I pray and I ask, I ask for your grace and mercy and ask that you will pour out Holy Spirit. Lord, that you will revive your church. Lord, that you will renew each and every one of us. Lord, for anyone that wants to join me in just a prayer of repentance, a prayer of saying, Lord, forgive me for giving up. Forgive me for being so cynical. Forgive me for being so critical and and not believing in your church. And Lord, I pray that you, by your power, will renew our spirits, will renew our hope, will renew our faith. And Lord Jesus, we stand on your promise. So Lord, I just pray your mercy and your compassion and your healing on each person who is open up and crying out to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Revive your church. Revive your people. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.